Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And the 5 Bytes Podcast is also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Microsoft's Ignite conference was held online this week. The keynote by Satya Nadella had a heavy focus on artificial intelligence and data, showing off Azure's cognitive service for language, real-time translating text from one language to another, and showing the generation instantly of a transcript from the play-by-play commentary on an NBA basketball game. The keynote continued to go into some very impressive sounding innovations that could help transform some businesses. And it went on to talk about some enterprise focused products, innovations for collaboration via Teams, advanced data analytics, and more. Microsoft have published a book of announcements, which I will share with this episode, but taking feedback from a couple of people who listened to the podcast uh, where I covered the VMworld announcements, I'll only select maybe a few of my highlights to talk about because I'll try not to make the mistake of making it too long again. And even saying that, I have included a lot of highlights, but if you're to look at the book that Microsoft generates from Ignite, I'm only really scratching the surface here with these announcements. But without further ado, let's get into some. I found it interesting that there was a general infrastructure session at Ignite that led with Azure Virtual Desktop over other more general server-side infrastructure as they talked about hybrid cloud and hybrid work needs. So focusing on that workload, that user workload. During the conference, Microsoft announced Azure Virtual Desktop for Azure Stack HCI, which they say is for customers who need desktop virtualization for applications that must remain on-premises for performance or data locality reasons. For example, customers can run latency-sensitive applications on the same network as the users or meet business needs by storing data locally instead of in the public cloud on Azure. Azure Stack HCI is a hyper-converged infrastructure solution that customers can deploy to extend their Azure environment to on-prem data centers for a hybrid cloud environment with a consistent set of cloud services. Seems kind of obvious, but you can have full control and run full Windows 10 and Windows 11 desktop experience for users with multi-session or single-session VMs to achieve the best performance and cost efficiency. So I think the important one there is the idea of having multi-session desktop OSs running on-prem. 
They say the ultimate goal is to offer a unified experience for AVD, public cloud, and on-premises deployments from the Azure portal. In addition, organizations can leverage other Azure services that they are familiar with, such as Azure Backup, Azure Monitor, and Azure Security Center to manage across a hybrid cloud deployment. So not just your on-prem, but also maybe having some workload still running in Azure, but having a unified seamless way to manage and control that. Also very interesting was not only in the publication after the event, did they say that they're working with strategic partners such as VMware and Citrix on new ways to support hybrid cloud VDI environments for their customers, but they're actually mentioned by the speaker during the infrastructure session, which I thought was pretty interesting. Now it seemed they weren't just an afterthought, like, hey, you know, we love our partners type thing after talking at length about everything but, and you know, why AVD is all that and that's all you need. They did make an effort to mention them in a somewhat significant way. Some other announcements that I felt were interesting around AVD, they announced the built-in auto scale to optimize costs at scale. So it looks like this is kind of a dynamic use of the scaling sets, which obviously, as they say, you know, costs at scale, you want to be able to bring down desktops that are not in use, only bring them up when in use and that sort of thing. Also announced was the Azure Virtual Desktop Starter Kit for Power Automate. So I'm a big fan of RPA, so this was pretty interesting to hear about. They say that organizations can now manage robotic process animation workloads with greater ease with the Azure Virtual Desktop Starter Kit for Power Automate that's now in preview. They give the example that customers can use RPA to automate data entry and interactions with the legacy applications. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And also during the same infrastructure session at Ignite, they were talking about the Azure Stack and the idea of AVD on Azure Stack and that hybrid model. They talked about Linux workloads and I thought it was very interesting. I believe it was 60%, they said. So like 60% of the VM CPU load or compute running within Azure are Linux workloads. So. I thought that was kind of interesting. Hey, and while talking about virtual desktops, there were some announcements around Windows 365 too, including some Windows 365 web client improvements, such as faster load times, higher performance and reliability, local resource settings. So the user has the option to select within the client, you know, what redirects, uh, being able to select alternative keyboards, accessibility improvements, and bookmarking different cloud PCs. The Windows 365 business improvements include a selectable standard user or local admin, selectable operating system, Windows 10 or Windows 11, and also purchase and assign licenses and provision cloud PCs from end user portal. So I expected more to be announced around the Windows 365 business queue, to be honest. Um, I hope more comes in the future. <laughs> I'm actually supposed to be doing a session on the 18th of November and I've been holding off on getting started to prepare for it because I figured some of the things that I was gonna talk about as being limitations and problems with the desktops queue uh, would be announced as being fixed at Ignite, but they have not been, so that's going to dictate the kind of session that I do, I guess. 
Also, I don't believe new, but they talked about the Windows 11 experience specifically in Windows 365. Um, I mentioned this on the podcast previously, but they did push the idea of, hey, you know, all those uh, restrictions or requirements on hardware for running Windows 11, that's not going to be a problem if you're consuming it in Windows 365. Probably the most significant announcement for Windows 365 was the announcement of the public preview for Azure AD Join for the Windows 365 Enterprise SKU. So currently the Windows 365 Business SKU is Azure AD only. So you're getting that Azure AD Join VM type of experience, but you couldn't get that with Windows 365 Enterprise until right now with the preview. They say the Azure AD Joint Cloud PCs provide key benefits, including being able to create Azure AD Joint Cloud PCs without bringing any Azure infrastructure, create Azure AD Joint Cloud PCs on your own network, just like today, by using an on-premises network connection, which I believe is the VNet. You can provide Cloud PCs for cloud-only users in your organization and gain more flexibility to sign into your Cloud PC using Windows Hello for Business. So I think part of the significance for me, and I've talked about it before with Azure AD Join, is the idea that there's a lot of startups who don't rely on traditional full domains, Active Directory, and the Windows or Microsoft ecosystem today. And it's been a hard sell to get them to use like Microsoft or Azure services because like for Azure Virtual Desktop, before AADJ was available there, they would have to have a domain infrastructure, which is crazy. If you're just using Okta today to publish out some SaaS apps, why would you even consider doing that? It was way too heavy and clunky. So this is going to be a great option for a lot of different small companies and startups. So I'm pretty excited about it and I hope it develops further. Also announced during Satya Nadella's keynote was the Sustainability Management Portal for Business. It provides organizations the ability to track emission sources across siloed parts of a business and centralize it. The tool can calculate emissions as a result of scope one, two, and three activities using dynamic calculation models aligned to greenhouse gas protocols and accounting standards. The tool is also able to integrate with Microsoft's ecosystem of products, providing an accurate representation of an organization's footprint and value chain. Carbon accounting is enabled through connectivity to emissions sources and automation. So I'm not an eco-warrior type. I do care about climate change. I'm just not as well informed as others on the subject. But something that is a big discussion in Ireland right now is the power consumption required by data centers. So Ireland is a huge center for data centers. Um, Part of the reason is because the climate is so favorable. It's relatively cheap compared to other places with warmer climates because you don't really need to use any cooling. I saw Black Knight, who's an awesome hosting provider based out of Carlo in Ireland, had a blog post just this week talking about it and how they haven't had to use their extra cooling in more than seven years. All they do is clean the air. They're not actively cooling the data center. So power consumption for running a data center would be lower in Ireland than most places. So it's kind of, yeah, come on, come on in. This is the best place. If you're going to have to do it, Ireland is a great place to do it. But the other side is 
Ireland is also actively trying to lower our emissions as part of the Paris Agreement. So we're trying to make ourselves more dependent on wind power, which this year has been difficult because we've had a particularly mild autumn and winter so far. So they're expecting us to have rolling power outages. So trying to do a good thing, but it could have a knock-on negative effect in the short term at least. So then we're going to continue entertaining these large organizations putting their data centers in Ireland, which is going to further stress our power grid. So yeah, it's good for the rest of the world, I guess, if it's going to happen that it happened in Ireland, but it's pretty rough on Irish people because we're going to be dealing with the power outages. So I know Microsoft tried out putting a data center on the ocean floor in Scotland a couple of years ago to see how that would affect cooling and costs. They have this sustainability portal and they've also had a vow to become carbon negative. But to me, it sounds like in the short term, growth in the use of cloud resources, which is obviously going to be Microsoft's goal, will be a negative for the planet. And I still wonder about their move to have Windows 365 as an always on desktop offering. No one genuinely needs a desktop 24 hours a day. So power them off when not in use. It seems so obvious. Like how much of this is just window dressing, which is not supposed to be a pun. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait and see. Also announced was Mesh for Microsoft Teams, which is the next leap for 2D and 3D experience. Mesh for Teams will enable new experiences with personalized avatars and immersive spaces where users can connect with presence and have shared immersive experiences. With personalized avatars, users can maintain their presence in meetings without turning on their cameras. Users can make the conversations interactive and express emotions using live reactions that will be represented through avatars. Organizations will be able to use immersive spaces that resemble physical spaces such as conference rooms, design centers, and networking lounges to enhance camaraderie, spark creativity, and foster water cooler connections. So it sounds like group room a little bit there. They say Mesh will be available from the first half of 2022. Now I saw some online deriding it, but others mostly younger people saying it could be a relief to use an avatar rather than show themselves on camera for every meeting which i can understand that for sure although i do wonder how it will perform consumption wise i covered on a previous episode that having web cameras on in zoom calls was considered harmful for the environment due to energy consumption increases caused by it maybe the avatars will mean less resources required and less power drawn but who knows because teams right now is already a bit of a hog and unless they're going to improve that which i think they're supposed to improve it then adding this into the existing products only going to make things worse i would think also announced for teams is chat with teams for personal account users that extends collaboration support by enabling teams users to chat with team members outside their work network with a team's personal account also announced was shared channels that can be shared with individuals and teams across multiple organizations BleepyComputer.com reported that Microsoft announced a new endpoint security solution dubbed Microsoft Defender for Business, specially built for small and medium-sized businesses. Microsoft Defender for Business is an endpoint security solution that helps businesses with up to 300 employees protect against cybersecurity threats, including malware and ransomware, in an easy-to-use, cost-effective package. 
Key features include simplified deployment and management, next generation antivirus protection and endpoint detection and response, automated investigation and remediation, threat and vulnerability management, and also Microsoft 365 Lighthouse integration with Microsoft Defender for Business. Microsoft says the new endpoint security solution will be coming soon to preview for customers and IT partners. And once it reaches general availability, you'll be able to buy Defender for Business directly from Microsoft and via Microsoft Partner Cloud Solution Provider channels as a standalone offering priced at $3 per user per month or included as part of Microsoft 365 Business Premium. We'll just quickly gloss over some of the other highlights. Uh, announced was Windows Update for Business Deployment Service that they say will make it easier for organizations using Intune to leverage the control features of Windows Update for Business Deployment Service as they are integrating controls for scheduling and deploying Windows feature updates directly into Intune. And that update is expected to come to the product this month. Microsoft Edge is now generally available for Linux via the stable channel. Power Automate is now more deeply integrated within Teams. For example, users can browse a gallery of Teams-specific automations right from the Teams App Store and create an automation from a template in just a few clicks without having to do any advanced configuration. The Microsoft Power BI app in Teams is now generally available. A Microsoft 365 application called Loopy was shown off, which is described as, quote, just like Teams transformed collaboration and productivity, Loop is the next big breakthrough in Microsoft 365. Microsoft Loop is a new app that combines a powerful and flexible canvas with portable components that move freely and stay in sync across applications, enabling Teams to think, plan, and create together." End quote. To me, just looking at it, it kind of looks like a share service aggregator for projects, but specific to 365 sets of applications. It would be cool if it supports non-Microsoft services in future too. Finally, Microsoft have signed the Java Specification Participation Agreement known as JSPA to officially join the Java community process. The JCP is a mechanism for developing standard technical specifications for Java technologies, enabling collaboration between individual developers, customers, and vendors interested in submitting suggestions for Java APIs. So Microsoft showing their commitment again to open source and providing contributions towards Java APIs. Now in some other non-Ignite news, Microsoft have released a preview patch KB4006746 to address issues with the snipping tool, touch keyboard, and or emoji panel that appear to be caused by a certificate expiring on October 31st. Interestingly, a report from The Verge suggests that even after the patch has been uninstalled, some have continued to experience problems with snipping tools and S-Mode. With the article suggesting if you have problems with snipping tool on Windows 11, you can change your system back to October 30th, then use the tool and switch it back again to today's date, and it should work. But so far, no word on a proper fix for either snipping tool or S mode, but it sounds like this preview patch should fix the other problems that you may encounter. Citrix released Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop, 1912 LTSR Update 4. This includes fixes for 
things such as upgrading CVAD to version 1912 LTSR, might not update a certain Azure RM plugin.dll config configuration file, and connections to Microsoft Azure Resource Manager may fail. Some issues around the delivery controller failing to connect to the database. Uh, Microsoft Teams optimized calls might fail with a CTX SVC host.exe process exiting unexpectedly because of a faulting CTX Teams svc.dll module. Also on the VDA side, VDAs may have been unregistering intermittently when IP version 6 was enabled. VDAs might unregister and also remain unregistered. Seems like a pretty big one. If you're experiencing that, I don't know what you did to get around it. Uh, but it sounds like if you're experiencing any of those problems and more, you should be taking the CU4. I know personally my approach with the LTSR versions has been, if it's not broke, I don't take the update. If something becomes a problem, then I will talk to Citrix support and see if it's something that's been fixed within a cumulative update. And then I would take the CU. I don't know if that's the best approach, probably won't work for everyone, but that's been my approach for the last few years. Google have released security updates and two of the security updates patch zero days. The zero days are CVE-2021-38000 and CVE-2021-38003. And these make up the 15th and 16th zero days that Google have patched this year, which is a record for Google since the browser was first released. Unfortunately, as the record media reports, as per Google's policy, they have not shared any details about the patches or the attack scenarios in which the two zero days were used in order to give users a safe period to patch before other threat actors start abusing today's fixes. Seems like a cop-out, but whatever. I think Google need to change that approach and be more enterprise-friendly, in my opinion. Apple have released a patch for a vulnerability on macOS Big Sur and Monterey that would bypass the system integrity protection security feature and allow the install of kernel rootkits. The interesting part was that this was discovered and reported by a Microsoft security researcher, Jonathan Barr Orr. The vulnerability is tracked under CVE-2021-30892, but has also been given the codename Shrootless. The researcher said that Microsoft reported the shrewdless attack to Apple's security team earlier this year and together with the proof of concept that showed how the bug could be abused to install a malicious kernel extension. So right on Microsoft, good on you for helping everyone out and helping Apple out. And now some quick hit stories to wrap up the news. A Russian national believed to be a member of the TrickBot malware development team has been extradited to the U.S. and is currently facing charges that could get him 60 years in prison. 38-year-old Vladimir Donev, also known as FFX, was a malware developer that supervised the creation of TrickBot's browser injection module, at least according to the indictment. Fedora Linux version 35 is now available. It includes improved third-party application support, making it easier to install a selection of third-party software via Flathub. This enables users to install apps like Zoom, Minecraft, Bitwarden, and more. 
They've improved NVIDIA support under Wayland, and this adds support for NVIDIA drivers with xWayland, enabling users who want to run applications that don't have native Wayland support to still benefit from 3D support under NVIDIA drivers. Additionally, Fedora 35 includes updated key programming languages and system library packages, including Firewalled 1.0.0, LLVM 13, a GNU toolchain update, Python 3.10, and many others. The preview of Android apps on Windows 11 is now available in the Windows Insider's dev channel in the US. So we talked about before on the podcast that that was something that was teased during the initial Windows 11 launch announcement, but was not available within the operating system on launch and was not even available in preview until recently. And now you can get it if you're in the dev channel in the US. Finally, threat actors are exploiting a security flaw in GitLab self-hosted servers to assemble botnets and launch gigantic denial-of-service attacks, with some in the excess of 1 terabit per second. The DDoS attacks disclosed by Damien Mencher, a security reliability engineer at Google Cloud, responsible for Google's denial-of-service attack defenses, are exploiting CVE-2021-22205 which is a vulnerability that GitLab patched all the way back in April 2021. The record media reports that more than 30,000 servers remain out there in the wild unpatched. So if you use GitLab, patch. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. Dennis Moorman shared his Citrix PVS admin toolkit on GitHub. It's a set of useful scripts for your Citrix PVS environment that allows you to manage PVS with PowerShell. You simply put all files and folders into C program files x86 scripts on your PVS servers and start the main script, which is PVS admin toolkit.ps1, and then you can launch all the other scripts from the SysTray icon to do a series of things like shrink disk, promote a new VDisk version, replicate VDisks, merge VDisks, and more. Ernie Costa shared his first impressions and a configuration walkthrough of Azure Virtual Desktop on Azure Stack HCI. So very topical since it was just announced at Ignite. If you want to see the how behind that, then check out Ernie's blog. And I'll share that with this episode, which is episode 201. And you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. I had the honor of having a blog post that I created published on Citrix.com this week, and the topic is on managing Citrix remote PC access with ControlUp, which is something I did in a previous job, and I found it very effective, so you may find that too. I think one of the difficulties with Citrix remote PC access is uh, managing the actual desktops themselves, because once you've got it set up, it's relatively easy for users to use it's pretty reliable it's a persistent experience from that perspective it's somewhat easy but just things like what happens if the desktop goes off and no one's in the office that kind of thing control up can help and i blogged about it last week i mentioned that for the 25th anniversary of the sys internals tools they were having a sweepstakes and one of the ways you could enter was talking about maybe your favorite sys internal tool uh, both Trenton, Ty, and I 
posted some videos where we talk a little bit about our favorite tools and just maybe some of the reasons why they're our favorite and more. This week I saw a pretty cool looking tool called Ransomulator, which is a ransom simulator for Bloodhound database. It could be used to measure a network resilience for ransomware infections and identify weak links in the network. Kevin Bullmount suggested that you can run Bloodhound, a passive Active Directory tool to find your weak AD links, and then run this tool, which is a passive tool to show you in diagram form what hosts would fall in a ransomware event and in which order. It's pretty cool stuff. Over at be-virtual.net, there was a blog post that goes through an issue encountered when updating PowerShell modules on a local system related to a security certificate. It appeared that a PowerCLI update was failing and every PowerCLI module that it tried to update returned an error and it did not update to a new version. So it was basically stuck in a limbo state. In this blog post that I saw, it showed how to get rid of this error and how to be able to update your PowerCLI again to the latest version. So if you're encountering that issue, check out that blog post. The awesome Brandel Mitchell posted a blog this week that's going to be the beginning of a series on app layering by Citrix. So I think he actually starts the blog post talking about how early on uh, I had a lot of problems, performance being the main one, which definitely was my experience. I had it in a kind of test state set up in my last environment and I never moved it to production because of performance concerns. But Brandon makes a pretty strong argument for why I and probably others need to go back and try it again. This week I saw on Twitter that there was a script shared that is a PowerShell script that pulls all presentations from the recent MMS event held in Miami. The great Ray Davis posted a blog this week on Teams, Microsoft Teams, on Citrix Virtual App and Desktop, and how you can set up and support that, which <laughs> it takes a lot. So thanks for sharing, Ray. And finally, Dennis Gunderev from the Microsoft team shared a really great thread on Twitter where he goes through, you know, what is a user session, and then also just the concept of sessions within Windows. And it's really fascinating. I did know some of this because one of the challenges early on with desktop migrations, I think back with Windows 7, was one of the compatibility problems was applications that were running Windows within session zero that would not be visible to the user. So it essentially hung up the application. So I kind of got to understand some of the different layers of sessions within the operating system. But it's a really, really great thread. So I suggest everyone check it out. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. It was another long one, but I hope... You all enjoyed it and I'll catch you next week.